You're listening to the Book Talk Today podcast, a podcast that inspires readers to obtain valuable insights to inform, educate, and improve lives. My name is Orn Abdi. I'm an avid reader, best known for the creation of the One Minute Book Review community, and I'm sitting down with authors to delve deeper into the books they have written to uncover the story behind the story. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 39 of the Book Talk Today podcast. Today we are joined by Fiona Buckland. Fiona is an international coach, facilitator, author and speaker who has worked one-to-one with hundreds of clients and led thousands in public and corporate workshops, training and events. Today we'll be discussing her book, Thoughtful Leadership, A Guide to Leading with the Mind, Body and Soul. Fiona, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you all for asking me. You're welcome. Uh, I think the topic of leadership is fascinating. Um, I've read many books on the subject and I think in current times leadership is more important than ever. Um, I know we're both in the UK so we've probably seen a lot of the news at the moment surrounding COVID-19 and some of the mishaps with uh, Dominic Cummings and number 10. Um, So uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting time for leadership. So I think before we get into some of the topics and themes without the, within the book i would like to know your thoughts around uh, what thoughtful leadership is which is which is the title of your book thanks um yes may you live in interesting times the chinese proverb and it, it wasn't it wasn't meant to talk about good stuff right um so so thoughtful leadership basically um i i, I love hearing what you said about how important leadership is in the world and how important it is to you because you know we need good leaders Um, And what I mean by good leaders is thoughtful leaders. Um, The impact that leaders have when they're not being thoughtful kind of surround us. We see them, you know, really clearly. Um, We see them in poor decision making, in confused messages, in not being transparent. All of these things mean that the people who people want to be led by are are left in a kind of state of um, confusion disengagement and lack of trust. Um, This is incredibly important and becoming more so because really good thoughtful leaders think very carefully about the impact that they're having. Because when you become a leader, you're actually volunteering for stress and you're volunteering to be in the spotlight and you're volunteering to have that impact. Guess what? It was never always just about your ego. So that's not a bad thing. And maybe we can talk about that later. But what you're really taking responsibility for is your world. And you're thinking about it generations going forward, not just of um, your company or your organization or your project or your community or your family, but of all living beings going forward. They used to say seven generations going forward. Mm. So a thoughtful leader is thinking deep. What is the impact that I'm having that I want to have? And is thinking forward in time. They're like brilliant time travelers and can see perhaps the impact of what they're doing. Not least on this, because the leaders, and we might want to think about this, you know, when you're a leader, what you're doing is you're setting the bar and and setting a model for what leadership is in the future as well. So that's the bar that you're setting. That's the impact that you're having, not just on your little bit of of the world, but on all leadership going forward. So, So think about that. That's what thoughtful leadership is. Why it requires your whole self so not just your mind, but your, as I said, the subtitle says, you know, with your mm. mind, body and soul is that you need to bring all of you to do this. Um, you can have leaders who are who are brilliant, who who um, whose intellectual capabilities were just, you know, someone like Bill Gates, who completely, you know, uh, has extraordinary intellectual capabilities. Mm. But unless you can actually impact a room with your presence when you walk in, and by the way, that doesn't mean being the big I am, but being aware of how your body, of how you are, is part of the message of your leadership as well. And also your soul, that you have a deep uh, connection to your calling and a deep connection to service to the world as Mm. well. That's what I mean by thoughtful leadership. Yeah, I like the I like the trifecta that you talk about in in the subtitle. I think it's very important because I think when people think about leadership, they definitely think of the the, the person with the brawn and who's commanding yeah. um, everyone. Can you? I know you touched upon it briefly just then. Can you talk about the ego and and perhaps the mis the misconceptions surrounding ego and, and leadership? 
Right. Um, so we all need ego. I'm not anti-ego. Um, we, we need our ego. What is an ego? It's a sense of self. And it's, we need our ego in order to make things real in the material world. Right. And also to sit into a room, I mean, and for us to have this conversation, for you to set up a podcast, right? It's like I have a self-belief. And from that self-belief or that desire comes making something in the world. And we can call mm. that kind of ego. Having um, a massive ego. But, well, but there, that's the other <laughs> side, right? Did I, did I just say that about you? Maybe yeah, I did, yeah. But, but you see what I mean? But that's a good thing, right? Because you put something out into the world, which is good, right? Sure. Um, but if you're only doing it for your ego, mm. if you're only doing it to make, to, to make yourself feel big, to be the mm. kind of, you know, the big guy on, on the block or what have you, then guess what? You're, you're, you're probably cruising for a bruising at some point as well, because the ego is, it, you, you, we talk about the ego monster that just needs more and more and more and more, yeah. right? Um, it's never enough. Um, there's something in there then maybe about what, what the Buddhists call the hungry ghost. I, I love that metaphor. Mm. It's that you can eat all you want, but you're never full because you're not really getting what nourishes you. Mm. And for the ego, it, it, can never really, it can never really be enough. And if it's only for yourself, whereas if you think about what you're doing, the impact that you're having in the world and how you're helping people or how you're serving people or how also you're setting an example for people, mm. Um, you've got a much uh, deeper and richer base to come from, um, one that will support you as well, right? Because mm. the problem with ego-led leadership is that if something goes wrong, that doesn't feel too good for the ego, right? Mm. You know, you can get deflated very, very quickly. Um, you can't do that in leadership. It's a long game. Um, it's a long game every day. It's, someone said to me, it's like, it is like sprinting a marathon, but it's like that every day. And if, you're, if the only resource that you have is your self-esteem um, and you don't temper that with a real sense of self-compassion for yourself as a, as a flawed and uh, um, uh, imperfect human being, then you're really not going to be very resilient. Uh, mm. And not only that, but you're going to pro- possibly, not you personally, <laughs> but you're but an ego-led leader is going to cause more damage because, um, because of their need for affirmation. They're going to bully people. They're going to feel the need to be in command and control rather than actually really empowering people around them. Yeah. Um, and they're going to surround themselves with yes people. Mm-hmm. People are only going to tell them what they want to hear because they can't bear to have people around them who don't shine, hold up that shiny mirror to them. Mm. So... That's my little take on ego there. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I like how you caveated it at the end that it's not not to do with me, which is which is nice. Um, <laughs> can you just talk about you touched on it briefly just then about resilience in leadership because I think often the most the best leaders or, or the most proficient leaders over a, a long period of time are usually the most resilient, not only to the obstacles they overcome but also to the fatigue and and the stress related to leadership, which I don't think near enough uh, people talk about. So can you just talk about through working with your clients and your experience? how a leader can become more resilient and whether resilience is, is one of the main traits to, to being a good leader. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it, it's essential. And you're right, people don't talk about the stress enough. Um, when you're a leader, and, and also, you know, anyone can be a leader, I mean, to a certain extent. But when you're a leader, you're volunteering for more stress. Yeah. You know, my, bro- my brother, you know, I say to him, I work with leaders and he's like, what is it with people? Why can't they just go home at five o'clock, you know, have a cup of, you know, make their tea, go to the gym, watch a bit of TV. You know, he's and he's a great um, he's a really great leveler for me to have mm. um, around. But for people who volunteer for, for leadership, it's stress all the time. And most of the people with whom I work, they're not even working in one time zone. And they're working with incredibly complex um, organizations now, many, many moving parts. They've got, you know, a, a lot of pressure on them because they're public. If, if they fail, they, they're also taking responsibility, yeah. um, the wraps on them. Um, and not only that, but they can, can also be taken down publicly, um, not just through the traditional media, but also through social media as well, yep. um, from which there is very, very little accountability. Um, so you wonder why these people can't sleep at night. Um, 
the difficulty with that is that there's that sense of um, <laughs> man up, you know, man up, um, uh, which is an interesting phrase, really, when you think about it, because, um, you know, it's, it's as, as someone once said to me, well, that's interesting because it's the women who, who really take the pounding and having yeah, babies. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's like genetically you know? speaking, it's the women that are more resilient. So probably a yeah. bit more resilient you know um but but that doesn't and i'm i actually we've kind of sneaked kind of gender in there maybe that was you know i'm not deliberately putting in that in there but let's kind of follow it one of the things certainly with with men um and uh, uh in leadership um who are the majority is that they find it very very difficult to talk about um their feelings mm. And one of the first things to being resilient is to be able to acknowledge that you are struggling or to acknowledge that something is disappointing because something will always happen. There will always be setbacks. There will always be disappointments. There will always be stress. Um, you can be going along really well and then wallop, you know, something comes and your whole business model is, is thrown, you know, or a tweet is surfaced that you wrote 10 years ago and has now come back to haunt you and you know, whatever it yeah. might be. Um, yeah, which, which, you know, is, is happening a lot. Um, uh, what men don't do is they don't talk about the feelings. They find it very difficult to allow other people to acknowledge their feelings as well yeah. in leadership. The unspoken story of men in leadership is insomnia, heart disease, um, drinking, broken relationships, you know, all of these things. I mean, I've got a, a couple of wonderful male coaches that I know that work specifically in this area mm. to get more men in leadership to talk about yeah. this. It's incredibly difficult. Now, what has that got to do with resilience? If you cannot acknowledge your feelings, I always say to people, if you don't know where you are, then how do you know what you need and how can you ask for help? That's the mm. other thing. Leadership is lonely. Um, if you think about it, very often leaders are at the top of one pyramid, but they're at the bottom of another. They've got investors, they've got boards, um, uh, and they've got the sort of general public, they've got customers, they've got stakeholders, mm. you know. Um, so they really are um, under a lot of pressure and often very alone. They very rarely have someone that they can turn to and say, I'm, I'm, freak I'm freaking out a bit here or I'm really struggling or, you know, if the business was this, I've also got my kids at home who are running riot and one of them's developed a heart condition and my partner is... So this applies both to sort of men and women. Um, so that even that puts even more pressure into that area. And resilience is not about having a stiff upper lip. Resilience is about when the inevitable brickbat hits, when things do fall apart, and they do, can you, um, can you hold through it, not just yourself, but the people that you're with and leading? And can you move through that into an even stronger position, mm. you know, with um, greater, with deeper, like deeper self-knowledge, um, better, better resourced, um, deeper commitment, beliefs, coherence, um, connection to other people, trust. Um, that's what we mean by resilience, mm. a kind of growth um, from adversity, if you like. And um, it's really difficult to do that if you cannot acknowledge your mm -hmm. feelings, if you don't take care of yourself. Um, and leaders at all times have got to be aware of their stress levels and the impact that it's having mm -hmm. on their bodies. I work a lot with people who are coming up into leadership, like have just been promoted or are, you know, starting their own businesses or their own practices or whatever it might be. And the first thing that goes out of the window yeah. is self-care. The first thing that goes out of the window is that, you know, 20 minute run that they would do every day or that bit of yoga stretching or the being in the garden, tending, you know, whatever it was that relieved yeah. their stress. It's the first thing that goes and it should be it should never go. Um, it really should never go. So um, and then who are you going to talk to and then how are you going to see thing, things as a mm. fork in the road? And then also, how do you know what your values are so that when things hit? that you can keep going as well. So there has to be a bit, an ability to do a bit of self-reflection as well, which is a really powerful aspect mm. of resilience. Then of course, doing all of this and then leading your team, your group, your company, your organization 
to do that as well. Where You touched on it briefly just then. Where's the relationship between self-reflection and self-awareness, uh, leadership and, and resilience? Like, where is that relationship? And how does someone who is managing a business, managing their career, managing a family, have that time to dedicate to self-awareness and, and, and reflection in a, in a busy schedule? I'm so glad you're asking this. It's such an important thing um, because the first thing that people say is, well, I don't have time. Um, I don't have time. Um, the truth is, is that you do somehow have to make time, but it's incredibly difficult mm. to do so, I know. Um, so there has to be a fair amount of, your question was self-reflection. Um, I would say to people, there's a myth that, and I hear it a lot. Um, well, I'll just get to the end of this yeah. quarter and then I'll, I'll yeah. go on holiday. That, that quarter right? never ends. Um, <laughs> and they go on holiday. That quarter never yeah. ends, right? It was a never-ending quarter. Um, or, they'll, or they're into the next quarter because, you know what, yeah. it never stops. Um, but also when you do go away, you're there with your phones. There's that famous story, and it is a true one, of people sitting around in a very nice hotel in the... Um, I think it was in the Caribbean, like Sandy Lanes, one of these like, you know, eight star hotel kind of things. And people are sitting around the pool and having a lovely time. And then suddenly everyone's phone starts ringing at the same time. And Lehman Brothers has just gone bust. <laughs> and everyone's just running to the airport and getting back on their private planes and getting, getting back to their offices because the yeah. sky's falling in. And it's this sense of, you know, you can't go away without people feel as if they can't go away mm. without their phones. Um, they're checking in their emails all the time. Um, they're not setting boundaries around themselves and they're not integrating good practices in. So this myth of you can take a two-week holiday and then you'll get your rest is apps and your reflection is, is rubbish. Or you have your retreat or your away day. It's the same thing. You really do need to, as a leader, integrate practices into your everyday life that help um, and into your week. And you need to, you, know, you are the leader um, so you are also modeling this kind of behavior for other people. So when you say, okay, it's Friday and it's five o'clock and we're going home or I'm going to take, you know, I take, I, I, I'm from four to five on Friday is my hour. When I sit down, I do reflection, you know, it's otherwise also known as strategic okay. thinking that's, <laughs> rather than yeah, reacting that's a, to stuff all the time. That's a nice title. I like that. You know, it's, yeah, you, you have to do that part, you know, self-reflection. How am I doing? What do I need to keep going through this next piece? Who are the people that I need around me? What are the skills that I need? What are the messages that I need? I've got a big board meeting coming up. Okay, I don't just charge in there and tell people what I want. How am I going to work the strategy around that? Who do I need to talk to first? I need some time to really reflect on this. Um, let's have a think about the vision of the company. What's coming around the corner? What's changing in the world? What am I noticing? What am I reading? What am I hearing that I need to pay attention to? That is essential part. That perspective part of leadership is really essential. Otherwise, you're managing. If you're not able to see around the corners and not only to see what's coming, but also to, to create mm. what's coming, right? That you need that self-reflection time. Yeah, it's essential. Or as I always call it as well, there's, there's also responding not just being not just reacting but responding so you know the essential of, of thoughtful leadership if, if you like is is noticing that something's coming up that you're noticing you're starting to get reactive to managing your kind of you know your inner emotions and just being able to go okay you know what rather than answer that i'm gonna ask you like you know what do you think what do you think about this i mm. want to hear from everybody else or I want to give people an opportunity to feel empowered here or I want to you know I want to make sure I don't blow up because this is not the moment to do it definitely you know well one of the things I've touched on briefly is like intrinsic values and I know that mm. some of the best leaders that are out there and the most proficient ones are the ones that have a strong value set they know what their values are they're, they're very attuned to that and they they their guiding principles and, and their actions are based on those values so how do how do individuals go about creating a set of values if they don't already have some and, and what are some of the techniques that they can use to establish their own value framework or well, you might might have a better term for it. i'm sure you have a better term for it but um no no i i think that's you're, you're bang on the money with the value framework um so it, it's a great question 
I, let me start with saying what you don't do. Okay, right? yeah, let's do that. And find, uh, uh, let's do that. Google. Right? Um, you know? <laughs> Google. Exactly. What are my values? Exactly. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't Google list of values and then go and tick them off, mm. right? Um, because you will end up with a list of values that might be your aspired values or the values that you think are more learned behaviors. Um, so, you know, let me give you an example. Um, you know, I could look at um, a value like uh, self-discipline and I'd look at it and I'd go, yeah, 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 you know, I'm disciplined. Obviously, I've written a book, you know, you've got to get up every morning, you've got to do it. Yeah, that's the secret of success, obviously, something that I value. But if you said to me, you could have your dream life, but you'd never have to have any self-discipline in it, I'd probably go for it, to be mm. honest with you. Yeah. But, if you said, but if you said to me, you could have your dream life, but you couldn't operate with compassion, Fiona. Or, you know, you wouldn't be able to work with people. You'd be working with just technology and algorithms. Or I couldn't do that. I mean, I couldn't. It, it, it would rip my, it would like ripping my guts out. It, it, it just feels completely wrong and inauthentic sure. to me. So that's what you don't do. You don't go and get a list. Because um, it's also easy. What you do, if you can, is you get a coach. Or you do this exercise like this, which I do, and isn't in the book as well. So it's called like a, it's, it's a kind of peak, what they call peak experience exercise. So you basically, you think about a time when you felt really alive, make it specific, you know, and if it's tricky for you, then maybe think about what your ideal day would be like, but it's better to get a memory. Um, then you go through that memory. <clears throat> like for instance, I might say, let's, would you, can I, can I do this let's with go, you now? Let's, let's do it. I'm, I'm doing free, show free session. Let's, let's go, go for it. it. All right. Free session. Okay. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get my invoice oh, afterwards. Yeah, hopefully not. I won't respond. <laughs> All right. All right. So you excellent. That's the best way to do it. Um, so look, um, here we go. Think about a time when you feel or when you felt really alive. And remember that alive doesn't necessarily mean calm. It could mean really stressed out because there's a, you know, there's a deadline or there's a challenge and you've got to step sure. up and up your game. So have you, have you got something? So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I felt recently was the fact that so I've taken on this new endeavor of um, having like a career switch. So I, I do this podcast and I speak to authors, which is for me amazing, an amazing opportunity. But I'm also changing from finance analyst to becoming a software engineer. And a recently a time I felt alive was the fact that I, I had like 15 podcasts scheduled and I just had this moment of sitting there thinking, oh my God, this is like a thing now. And in the past, I thought about like, how cool would this be to speak with authors? Like for years, I've been thinking about it because I love to read, obviously. And I just have this moment of just, in Arabic, it's called like khushur, which is like contentment. And I was just like, this just feels right that I've got all this scheduled and I'm speaking yeah. with these authors and I just feel that feels right. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I would say that that was one of the moments recently. I love that. That's a really, really great one. I love that you brought the Arabic word in too. Okay, so let me ask you a question then. And, and to listeners, this is where you go a little bit deeper, right? And I, I would say to you, so what's important about that? What, so you've got those 15 podcasts, you've got that sense of contentment. What's important about that? <clears throat> the importance for me is because I know the value that these conversations give to me and then the, the, the listeners as well. So there's that part of it. I know there's the value and obviously the obviously the authors like yourself sharing the message, but also to myself because I learned so much and also for the listeners because they learn so much. But it's also the fact that I know that, that this is the direction that I want to go in in the fact that I want to be doing this a lot more and I know that I want to be speaking with more authors and, and growing the podcast and for it to become something that I, I'm associated with. So that's why it's important for me to make sure that, that that's being done. So what, what I would do then, I've been listening and you might want to listen to yourself and people, if you haven't got a coach, write it down because then you can read it again or record it and listen to it. So what I'm listening to are particular things. So when you, you, you mention the word learning yeah. a lot. So I might say that learning is a really important value for you. It's learning the most important one. You want to kind of yeah. bingo, right? There's also, it feels to me like there's a sense of achievement in there. Like you've really worked hard at this. And you've, you've got to a point where you're going, my yeah. God, this is it. This is really happening. I've done it. So there's a real sense of self-achievement, right? Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. 
So what you would want to do as well always is to is to keep is to keep looking to learn and to increase your sense of achievement. And there's also something here about impact as an important value as well. So it, now that might not be the right word. It might be connection with other people, affecting other people, making a difference, ego. or it might just be impact. Is that <laughs> <laughs> ego? Uh, um, but that you know yes. that's in there too. You want yeah, to reach other people. You want to of affect course. them, and you want to you know you want to affect a change in them of learning of pleasure of you know engagement. Yeah, I, I with think. The world. Yeah, I think for me it's okay. the fact that I know that how much value that I've derived from learning and from books in particular. And I know that the impact yeah. it's had on me and I just want to share that with other people because I think it's really important. Right. There you go. Sharing. <clears throat> Sharing yeah. is a really important thing. It's not good enough for you just to have it for yourself. It's like, yeah, now, now this yeah, is a good I'm thing like, I want to share. I'm, I'm reading these books and I've got these ideas and, and there's to, for me, they're like mind blowing. I'm like, people need to know about this like today i posted a book and I'm, I'm speaking with another author later about um one of these books he hasn't written it but one of the topics of conversation is around a, a book written in the mid 1980s called amusing ourselves to death by neil postman and i'm like well, why haven't more people read this like more people need to read this and so it's just sharing that with other people stuff like that i i knew neil postman. oh did you I was at I was at NYU oh, no and way. I took a road trip with him. Oh <laughs> my god, that's crazy! I didn't I didn't know who he was oh, really um, because he was my my partner's professor. His kind of his kind of dad, if you like. I mean, he's an amazing character. Um, and so he went to this place. We were going to this retreat up into the Catskills where he was giving this big speech, and my partner and me were with him. And off we went up there. And as he came off stage and everyone was going, Neil, he came to me and said, what are you, how did you think I did there, Fiona? Do you think that was okay? <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, he knew I was the only person in the room who was like, at the time, I don't know. Are yeah. you any good? Like, do people know who you are? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, so it's a great book. And, of course, he, you know, again, was, a, was a, ahead of his time in a way of really naming some of the stuff that is still crazily relevant today. Relevant. Um, I like I like to think of him somewhere, just kind of checking in and going, uh huh, yeah. He he's very he was a very wry mm. person. He had a passion mm. for education. That was you know that was where he came from at all times, and it's really important to remember that we call people thought leaders, but at the time he was you know very very committed to education and to to meet to the media yeah. ecology, um, which you know is is just a, a another beast entirely now. Definitely. Definitely. Well, anyway, we got, we got off what, what a segue. Right but um, where? What a small yeah. world. Love it. Yeah, from, from your leader, from your values, which were, you know. Um, so you asked the question about values. And it's interesting talking about Neil, right? Because here's a man who, in some ways, you know, his, you know, knowing him as, as a man rather than as a great teacher, um, you know, I could see what he was doing as a, as a human being his very avuncular style, the fact that he really mentored people, mm. how important education was to him, and how he felt that media literacy was um, part of our part of our cultural toolkit that we needed in order to participate in a democratic world. Mm. So he wasn't just, you know, um, that was also about sharing. It was also about educating for him. Um, essentially, very, very important for him. Mm. He was old school. He was old school. Yeah, I like I like that. I like that. Um, and and in his book, he's, he's very. Um, I like the fact that he, he. It seemed to me that he was very proactive in in making sure that people knew about the distinctions and about the new media and and about how they are affecting you and your behavior and the way in which you see the world. Which which to me is great. And I think I feel like that's perhaps a shared value that that we that we both have. So yeah. So that was a long way of talking around how you might find your values. Yeah you know um and why that's really important because we can talk about neil and we can talk about what he what what his values were and we can see them in action not just the kind of list that you tick off like we can with you you know you're walking your talk do you think do you think it's important then for people to perhaps see people that they admire or people that they respect and to see whether they have shared values with them and derive values that way i think that has i think that's part of the that that's part of the 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 job of leadership right is that you know, from from this side of it, and you know, um, it's something that leaders need to be aware of. You know, because you're by osmosis 
um, influencing people. Mm. Um, uh, when you say, if you're, when you're very clear about your values as a leader, then yes, people will be attracted to you. They will want to work with you. But you also have to, as I said just now with you, you've got to walk your talk. You've got to show integrity. They can't just be the, yeah, we really value this on the, on the kind of above the door frame, yeah. but the minute you walk in, there's just that thing yesterday with, with Brewdog, and I don't know if it's true or not, but you yeah, know, yeah. Um, certainly there seems to be a mass, which is like there's a real disconnect between your, yeah. the values that you espouse and the values of actually what it's like to work yeah. with you. I mean, yeah. And that's where you've got a real, real problem. For that one as well, in particular, it's like if it's just one employee, then you're like, okay, but when you have 60 ex-employees writing, you're like, mm, maybe there's something wrong there. <laughs> yeah, and, and their response was interesting, right? Because initially it seemed like there was a kind of, you know, um, uh, a certain kind of response, which you could say was the, a kind of old command and control leadership thing, which is every, you know, everybody must sign this memo by 10.30 and this is a demeaning thing. And then the other one that came out saying, oh, we're listening and learning. Yeah. But it's listening and learning. Uh, action's got to be the thing yeah. now. You know, that's what people want now. They want action. Like, show us. Walk, walk the talk. Yeah. And a lot of what I think is happening around Black Lives Matter, um, Me Too, is like, enough. Like, like walk the talk mm. now. It's enough. Yeah, definitely. I, I, would, I would agree with that. One of the things I want to talk about, actually, I recently mm. read the book 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari. It's a great book. In, in that, he talks about stress um, to, the, to the degree that it's prevalent in our society at the moment because there's rapid change. And rapid change, whether it be in technology or in society in general, just brings stress because that's just how we're biologically, um, that's our biological makeup. So can you just talk about stress and leadership and and combating stress, um, some tactics perhaps, or, or just how to manage that when you're you're in this process of ev evolution to, to to becoming a leader or as a leader. You've you've got to manage stress, as I said. You're volunteering for it as a leader. I mean, it's for for all of us as well. Um, there are basically, I, I call it like a kind of three three step process, if you like. The first thing you've got to do is notice. You've got to know that you're under stress. Um, and there's that difference from that kind of good stress. I mean, you could have looked at your 15 podcasts and going, oh, my God, I'm like, that's it. I'm way overworked. But you got excited by it, which is that positive yeah. stress, right? The negative stress is when you cannot sleep and you're really stressing out and maybe you've got imposter syndrome going on and you're, or, or you're just overwhelmed. I mean, the, there's so much on people's plates nowadays. Um, so you've got to notice what your warning signs are for stress. And I always go through with people that there are five stress reactions to watch out for. Um, none of them are bad or wrong. They just are. They're part of our revolution. So most people have heard of fight and mm -hmm. flight, but there's also freeze, yep. which is that kind of rabbit in the headlights when things go yep. to pieces. Um, fold, which is that kind of uh, victim, oh, this always happens to me. Oh, okay, then. All right. You know, I, w I won't have the promotion. Um, and friend, which is the whenever there's a stressful situation, I always say to people, imagine if someone like prangs your car, it's their fault, but you get out of your car and go, it's okay, it's okay, I'm not, I'm not a problem. That's a stress response, you know, because it means that you're already um, uh, uh, trying to avoid confrontation. Yeah. And confrontation is sometimes good, right? Like, or assertion, like, hey, you know what, you pranked yeah. my car, mate. Um, so... So you've got to know what your stress response is. When I say that, people already start might might go, oh, wait a minute. I mean, I know that I've got a freeze response. I will, which is quite interesting. People sometimes think I'm really calm in in a stress stressful situation, which I can be, partly because I grew up in a very stressful household. But I can sometimes freeze, and people think I'm being aloof. And actually, I I've got a process by which so I have to notice I'm freezing. So notice that awareness. Second acceptance. This is the reality. This is what's happening. Don't try and create a little story mm. in your head. And also acceptance in the, the, the sense of um, like, like somebody is doing this to me. That's a story, right? It's not reality. You, you, you're having an evolutionary <laughs> stress response is what's happening, right? Nobody's making this happen. It's happening. Um, also self-acceptance, practice some self-compassion. You know, um, you are a human being who's doing your best. That's it. That's all. Um, there are lots of really wonderful self-compassion exercises that you can do. For instance, you can just connect with yourself. Like, what would a really compassionate friend say to you right now in this situation? Right. So when you've done those two, and you can do those in a moment, it sounds like, well, I have to go away and find a little space to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you can do that. 
But then you also have got the opportunity to choose. You can choose to reduce that stress. And I've got some techniques in the book like centering, which is a way that you work through your body to take the stress out of it because stress is yeah. a body mind. It's not, you know, people think that their brains are like, you know, their bodies are like brain taxis, but they're not. Um, it's all related. So we work through the nervous system in an instant. I just did it right then, right? Just to, you know, you loosen your belly, loosen your jaw, visualize, imagine yourself shining out. That takes your stress, like your body neurologically offline, enough for you to go, okay, how do I want to respond to this? How do I want to deal with this? You also have to notice what the other stress signs are. I mentioned not being able to sleep or you know, when you come back at the end of the day and you want to relax or nowadays still, mm. you know, you might be at home and uh, and just as you put a bottle of water to your lips, I'm assuming it is. But but for some people, they get into the habit of coming back and they're like, oh, I'm just going to have a drink at the end of the day. And then maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's every day. And just to notice that you've got to come off automatic because your stress response and the way that you cope with it very quickly yeah. will become your default right? So you got to kind of come off it. you got to notice if somebody says something to you in a meeting and you automatically start going, ah, you know, hey, guess what? That means the membrane stretched a little bit too thin, right? It's okay to get, you know, to, to get angry at stuff. But if it's, you know, haranguing people, if it's always, no matter every yeah. little thing that happens, you're freaking out, guess what? Warning sign, you know, uh, help apply. So that's kind of what I would sort of say sound it sound about stress. Um, and it, it is essential to, to monitor this all the time. Yeah. And one of the things you, you said in, in that in that um, in that piece just then was this 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 separation between the I, the I that does everything and the I that is responsible for looking after yourself, because I almost think that so in, in 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson, he says that treat yourself as if you're someone responsible for looking after because we are very quick to help others. And he, he gave the example of, uh, for instance, a dog owner. The dog owner always gives the medication to the dog, but then people who are prescribed medication very rarely follow through with their prescribed medication. So can you just talk about how, the, how a way to separate the eye that you see and the one that's in control and then the person that is actually responsible for looking after yourself? I always advise against kind of dividing yourself because it's the same person, right? Um, so I always, sometimes we need to change the language. Sometimes okay. it, it has to be about how do I resource myself so that I can be the best leader that I can be? And how do I set an example for other people around me so that they can resource themselves so they can fulfill their potential so our project can be the best that it can be as well? Um, so you also talk about it. You also talk about it and you also show it. Um, the, the ways to do that are by finding what works for you, really to stay in the zone. You know, I talk about how important yeah. it is to be in the leadership zone. And you cannot be in the leadership zone if you're, um, if you're uh, in, in a toxic stress situation or a toxic stress state. Yeah. Um, you've dropped out of the leadership zone. Yeah. So to reframe, what is it that keeps you in that leadership zone? How do you do that? And I always say to people, you know, when you get on a plane, I know it's a cliche now, and they say, in the event, unlikely event of an accident, <laughs> the airbags will come down, and you've yeah. got to put your own on first, even yeah. before. And it almost goes against what you think, right? If you're a parent, it's like you're going to put your, your kids. But no, because if you run out of oxygen, they're, they're, it's game over for them too, right? Mm. So, so it becomes really important, and it can also become something. Um, I, I have a... I have a little bit of a problem. I'm going to be a big confession here. I'll probably, you know, <laughs> ruin my career instantly. But I think we have to get over the idea that um, uh, we just uh, give people some uh, a mindfulness section on the on the intranet or something like that. It, it's not about that. It's also in the way that we do meetings. Um, if um, we, for instance, we allow we become less brittle so we can take more feedback, right? Um, so we don't armor ourselves so much. Um, Brené Brown's just done a great piece on, on leadership and all the research that she's done. And she said the thing that really does for leaders is not fear. It's um, 
it's this uh, this armoring. It's protecting yourself all the time, you know, um, uh, against what you know humiliation or input mm. or you know you know whatever it might be. And we have to bring those barriers down a little bit. So it's not enough to do the mindfulness piece, the kind of you know breathing piece or the chewing and raising piece, although that is incredibly useful. If in the way that we do our business or work together or are together, there's stress, there's always going to be stress inevitably put in there. But we don't have a really good process for dealing with that in that, you know, we give feedback instantly. We don't hold on to things to someone's 360. um, And we allow people to take total responsibility and accountability with psychological safety and compassion and humility and and that's how we are as a team. Mm. That's what we do together. We take responsibility for it for it all mm. as well. Yeah. Um, as well as being able to say to each other, you know what? We're all working really hard. What can we do? Like, are we all rubbing each other up the wrong way? Do we have to have this moment? Yeah. I, I'm doing. Let me give you a for instance. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with organisations at the moment because I do not just one-on-one work, by group, but group work. Yeah. And at the moment, people have not been in the office for 15, 16 months, quite often. There may have been, well, there would have been new people onboarding who've never met any of the people that they work with, right? There would also be people who have been through um, bereavement and separation and extreme stress in their own lives because of living in these times that we've had to, to deal with. And so to get people to go back into the office again, let me give you an example. A, a, a client of mine went to a, he's a, a, a music agent, and he went to the opening night of one of the big orchestras in London. And they all sat there, and everyone was sitting there, like it's quite something like, yeah. you know. Um, and the orchestra just came on and played. And they were disappointed. The audience was disappointed because there wasn't this moment of welcome back. And then somebody else I know went to another orchestra because these are the people that I know now. Obviously, they're classical music types, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's the age that I'm at now, right? It's like, so someone went to this gig. Now they all go to opera yeah, now, opera exactly. now, orchestras. And, and the lights went down and the speaker went, welcome back, everybody. And there was a huge round of applause. Yeah. And suddenly he said it was an elevating moment that brought everybody together. So at the moment, I'm being asked to go in a lot to organizations and to really to get them together again as a group, yeah. here, you know, and to celebrate the group and to acknowledge what's happened. Because quite often there's been unemployment, there's been furloughs, there's been people have gone and not coming back and they never even got to say goodbye to yeah. them. So how do we acknowledge the ghosts? How do we acknowledge everything that's gone on? How do we really look at each other and say, you know what, I appreciate the fact that you really have my back? And hold that energy of that moment um, and build from that. You know, that's just such a powerful thing for me to be going into organizations and doing at the moment. Yeah, I think having that welcome yeah. back, here we are. Yeah, I feel the, the power in that comes from the, the togetherness. I think, like you said, I think a yes. lot of people have been felt yes. isolated and in that just the togetherness. Like you said, even when, when going to that, um, that, uh, that classical music um, gig it's like just acknowledging the fact that it's happened and saying welcome back is that those two words mean so much when you just think about it rather than just going straight into it yeah, yeah absolutely so and it, it, it's you know my question to my friend on the first one my client the first one was well where was the leadership in mm. that how could they just do that that's just like okay back to normal but but it was a real moment because also what certainly people coming back to, to an office space, whatever the office space is now, and it, they may well have changed. It may be just two days a week mm-hmm. or whatever. They, they might, you know, some people might never come back to the office. Is how do you bring people to that sense of belonging? And that's something that when we're together is really important. And people don't realize how important that is for, um, for, uh, for any organization, right? You know, a sense of inclusion. Yeah a sense of I belong here, a sense of, you know, these people have got my back um, is really important um, as, a, as a psychological, emotional need that helps people to fulfill their potential, gives them a sense of safety and connection and wanting to do their best as well. 
So how do you actually work on that emotional level as well? It's all that's essentially the work of leadership. Mm. It seems in, in relation to that, it seems like it's that's collective compassion might not be the yeah. right definition but yeah. for for me as an observer as someone who's worked in my first job was at a, in a, the civil service in the grad scheme so we did a lot of training when it comes to uh, listening and, and assertiveness training and we did a lot of training in, in, the, in that grad scheme um, and one of the things that I found to be interesting because that was a rotational program so every year you change jobs and you go to a different department and you're in a completely different team no one knows who you are and you don't know really anyone mm-hmm. and the interesting thing that i found is the teams that were able to 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 get more things done quicker were those that had a sense of collective compassion for individuals but also for the difficulty of the task which i found to be very interesting because you would what I would have thought is if you think a task is easy and you go into a task thinking it's easy, then you do better at it. But I actually found it was the opposite. It was the ones where you acknowledge it to be so difficult and then therefore you you um, you have that collective compassion, just not for yourself, but also for the task. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that story that you're telling. And if you think about the civil service, you know, most of the things that they're doing are not going to be the easy wins right no, they're, they're going to be pretty taking funding away is not is not is not because i worked in finance so oh hell no okay yes. yeah so so this is tricky right um and, and one of the things about leadership is that you know and i'm in a way i'm glad that you brought this up this collective compassion is really important for the difficulty of the task it it's it, you know we underestimate that so much in our lives if you just think about relationships for instance you know any relationship yeah it's 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 extraordinary achievement, really, to have you know an ongoing, good, trusting relationship with somebody that can weather the storms. Yeah. And one of the essential things about leadership is that you know people have this idea of leadership of you know winning the awards, having that great sense of achievement. Um, but but actually, you know, if you shy away from the stuff that's tough then again, it comes back to that kind of armoring that you have, then you're creating an, an unresilient team, if mm-hmm. you like, because nobody will be able to deal with the tough stuff. You know, um, quite a lot of the time I'm dealing with, with leaders who do have to have those tough conversations. They can't really avoid them. Sometimes they'd like to, but they can't. You know, sometimes they have to make quite a lot of leaders over the last year that I've worked with have had to make people redundant or cut back their hours, or say that they can't have the raise, or tell them that they've got to actually, you know, um, take a pay cut, or they're closing an office, or, mm. you know, um, and that's really tough. If you think about the message that the government's had to give out, you know, they, it's difficult. It's a difficult message to give, because they have to say, look, people are going to die. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, this is a disease. We can't legislate against it. We can't even fully vaccinate against it. You know, um, people are still going to get this thing and they're still going to die and we're going to have to accept that. Now, that's not an easy thing for today's politicians to say. It's really difficult, um, especially for those who are more used to, um, you know, uh, uh, who, who are happier, shall we say, more comfortable with the bright new future awaits kind of message as well. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to do both. And and I love what you just said about collective compassion as well. You you have to be able to feel in to how painful that can be so that you can um, move through it and grow together mm. you're constantly trying to avoid it guess what it's going to come and kick you really really badly mm. um, and it will affect other people you might not notice it yeah. but then you notice people keep leaving you notice people taking yeah. more sick days you notice that you don't feel happy about it anymore yeah. um, that you're getting you know uh, and that your projects are falling apart yeah as to use a phrase you said earlier, which I've never heard before, you're 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 on a cruising to a bruising. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I didn't say it earlier, but I heard that, and I was like, I love that. You're on a cruising yeah. for a bruising. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great. I, I thought it was a I great hand, one. Somebody handed it to me. Now I give it to you. It's a gift. Oh really? Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> the chain continues. That's it. Um, oh in, in reference, I, I'd love to know your thoughts, really, your personal thoughts, actually, in relation to some of the leadership surrounding specifically the UK, um, for anyone who's listening internationally, but around the leadership surrounding the COVID-19, because 
there was a lot recently around Dominic Cummings of number 10 and, and Boris Johnson, and the relationship there. And what's your opinion towards that from a leadership perspective? I'd just love to know your thoughts. Um, I'm assuming, obviously, that you know, like the details of it. Um, if you don't, then maybe perhaps you just referenced it in the news. But I'd just love yeah. to know your thoughts on is it just a lack of leadership from um, a, a, an organizational perspective or how would you manage that if, if you were in that position? So, look, the first thing to do is for me to take politics out of it, which is difficult because we're talking about the business of politics. I'm just looking at this from a leadership point. Of yeah, view. no, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, my political views aren't, aren't anything to do with it. Yes. Um, so it's, it kind of leads off what I was saying. Uh, do you remember like at the beginning of the pandemic, all those 15 months ago? Um, in fact, it was longer than that because it was December, January that things started yes, happening. It was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and let's you know we noticed these things at the time of the emergency, but um, there were lots of things that were leading up to that. There was a whole context of Brexit, and there was a whole context of international global leadership. There had also been a um, there'd been a, a, an election. Um, there, you know, and the global scene, if you like. Um, had a certain kind of leadership that was in um, uh, uh, was was rising yeah. was in you know and it was fairly um, it, it seemed from our from my perspective anyway it was very much about that um, painting a bright new vision and forward we go yeah um, and it's almost as if you know what I said earlier about what happens when the bad news comes. Are you able to turn and face it? And this had been a, some of the issues that we had have been coming up for a long time, mm. a long time. Um, someone, you know, someone that I know um, worked on the uh, government emergency, kind of like the equivalent of FEMA, I guess, in America. It's a kind of government emergency committee. So what they do is yeah. they sit and they every week or every month they're giving that, you know, it's the COBRA team. Basically, yeah. they're saying, look, here are the kind of alerts at the moment that we need to watch out for, we need mm. to prepare for. And they have been saying for a long time that the number one thing that we need to watch out for is a pandemic. It's not just a case of if, it's when. And it's very difficult to see that because we had a perfect storm and it wasn't just political. It was also, we've had supply chains that have changed to just in time. We had social media that is just at that moment of kind of um, mm. peak um, uh, peak irresponsibility, actually, I'm going to name that because I'm, I mean that literally because they were saying at the time, we are not responsible. Now they edit people. They say, well, we're, actually, we, we're not legally responsible, but we're going to self-regulate a little bit more because of, <laughs> because of things that have happened subsequently. Yeah. Um, and whatever you think about that, that's a real big switch because at the time, as I said, they were being literally, this is not our responsibility. So it was it was that perfect storm of stuff that happened. And then... You have um, uh, a leader who, in Johnson anyway, who from, and I watched, as everybody did, I suppose, I, I watched his briefings, and what I saw was somebody who really didn't want to give the bad news, who really found it almost, um, uh, from a character point of view, very, very difficult to give the bad news. Yeah. And that's also, if you like, a failure of cabinet as well. Who is he surrounding himself by? You know, again, a, a leader needs to surround himself with dis also dissenting voices who will push back really hard as well. Mm. And it doesn't feel like there was enough of that there, um, uh, though the, the, the history needs to be written. But interestingly enough, people were looking at other places in the world and going, who were the leaders who were really doing very well in that initial moment? And there were leaders who were fantastic in that initial moment. One of the leaders that I marked out who I thought handled it really well was Angela Merkel. Yeah. She gave this speech in which she said, and I've, I've got a, a thing of it in the book, where yeah. she said, look, we're kind of all in this together. I don't want to give this. I don't want to pull back on your freedom because I came from East Germany. You know, I know what it's like not to have freedom. But you know what? We're all vulnerable and we're only as strong as the weakest link. And, you know, she, but I feel for you. She really had this moment of, you know what? I have to give you the bad news, yeah. you know. However, subsequently, you know, so for that part of the pandemic, I think she was a really great leader. And I think people like Johnson didn't do so well. Um, they fudged it. They didn't want to, you know, so people were like, what are we supposed to be doing? And no one really mm. took it as seriously as Merkel got, got it and other people got it. So then 
So then what happens? We roll forward and, and, and they're not, you know, in Britain, we're going back and forth and up and down. And of course, we have to remember that we are the, the we also have to have the compassion for the people who are dealing with an extraordinary situation. Yeah, yeah definitely. That is changed. And the, vi- and the virus doesn't care. Guess what? It's mutating. It's like whack-a-mole. You think you've yeah, got yeah, it there yeah. and up it comes there. And it does it, you know, and you've got the scientists, of course, saying, well, we can't give you the data that you want to give the good message because we don't see it. We're driven by data. All of this going on. So it's fascinating in a way. But what we have got right, what, this, what, what the government did get right, is that it, it was able to take a risk. Because there's something about, um, because because that in a way is kind of what Johnson and Cummings and people like that are about. They're they're able to take a big expensive risk, which they did, and they got it right. They put a lot of money into lots of different vaccines, and they said we don't care. We'll cover you if it doesn't work. We'll pay all the costs that it took you to do. You just got to come up with something yeah. here, guys. They just and and they did, you know. Meanwhile, back in Europe, they're having a really difficult time. Um, now, I don't know if this is true. This is part of the story that I make up. But I do know that in Germany, for instance, and again, you might have people listening in Germany who might have something else to say about this. But because of their federalized system, they don't really not very fond of having a centralized system because of the history yeah. of what happened in, in the 1930s. So it's very difficult to have a central system like the NHS that has your data and everyone's ages in it. So, and they're quite risk averse. They, the EU does this collective negotiation mm. and it's got to be fair. Mm. And so it takes longer rather than the Cummings move fast and break things yeah. kind of thing. Um, so for different parts of this pandemic, different kinds of leadership have been useful for different things. I think we can really see that now. And for what's going to happen next is really important as well, because this thing isn't over. Like if you think, you know, there's that old quote, isn't there? Like, um, what are the what are the consequences of the French Revolution? And it's too soon to tell. <laughs> and yeah, that's a great like, quote. With 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 this as well, you can have yeah, that thank too. You. If you want. With with this, you're, right, you're welcome. Um, with this one as well, it's too soon to tell. Um, a lot of the things that happened as a consequence of the financial crisis are still with us. I think Trump is very much a consequence of and and the and the mindset it's not just that but i think that you know i think it's exacerbated um i think that has a lot to do with it and i think there may well be some major shifts that come from this that we can't see yet that you know in 10 20 30 years we'll look back and say ah that was yeah. when this started to happen yeah that that hindsight thing is a big one i actually think in reference to trump i actually think that was a mistake joe biden made is that he didn't ag- ag- acknowledge how toxic donald trump was when he assumed office um perhaps he did and i didn't see it but I, I i it's almost as if they just went oh that was a bad dream let's just not think about that and let's mm. move forward and i think he should have done the opposite and been like how did it get to that point where that happened and how can we address that because it was really bad and it's almost it got to the stage towards the end i feel like whereas people just accepted it they were just it was like acceptance it's like yeah he does what he is that's that is what he is and we'll just have to deal with it kind of thing and ride out the storm but that is a he was a yeah well this isn't the first time that, that america has had to deal with demagogues um and it will be interesting to see um what the lessons of of history are and you know how how it was dealt with yeah. before and what the kind of what the hope is now as well, because you know wh- whether you're on the left or the right, um, I think is immaterial. What is important is is a faith in democracy with all of its mm. flaws. You know, and and you know you were speaking Arabic. I've spent a bit of time oh, in the Middle East, um, and I remember I, I was in Syria yeah. before the war and yeah, yeah. Jordan, and obviously there, you couldn't really have a conversation about politics in Syria at the time nor now. But I remember being in Lebanon and quoting that old, that old chestnut about, I think it was Churchill or somebody else who said, you know, democracy is the least worst yeah. option. And, you know, the guys, some of the people in Lebanon I was talking to in Beirut said, well, no, actually, it's not. You know, we have democracy and it's chaos. Yeah. It's absolute chaos. And we haven't had stability or, or a stable government or we've got corrupt politicians and then their, their nepotism and... So you know what? Like, actually, a benign dictatorship would, would might be quite nice in a way. So we have to remember that that you know our systems of democracy are very 
um, locally, regionally, historically constructed. And we need to remember, rather than seeing them as an inviolable fact, we need to really respect them and fight for them every day. Yeah, you know? definitely. And that's, I, I can, and that's I can the way that we, you know. Yeah, second that sentiment. Um, yeah. Like I've vis visited like Iraq a lot of times, right, and yeah. it's interesting because a lot of individuals, especially around sort of like the fifty, sixty-year-old um, period, where during Saddam's uh, reign, were actually like profiting from from him being a dictator because they obviously um, he obviously was very brutal in the way he treated minorities. But there, for the large majority of people, they were, they benefited from him being a dictator. And they almost wish, some people actually wish, and I saw a video about this, um, some people wish for him to, to, to be, or for someone like that to be, because they give that element of structure and and um, they solidify the country to a degree, and it's not this power vacuum. So, yeah, it's an interesting point that you make, and it's the interesting relationship is like, it's not a one-size-fits-all and it's very difficult sometimes, I think, for people in the Western world to see that in, in relation to other countries in, in Eastern in Eastern cultures. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, we're, we're, we're very privileged and we have to remember that that is, you know, that's contingent. Yeah. And maybe in this situation with Trump, and I, I also don't want to kind of demonize people who voted for him, who felt that he actually was in a way speaking their truth, because I think that that's really important as well. You know, the bigger yes. question is not Trump, it's about how... How that we you, you've got such in America, a place that I lived for five years, you've got such division, and I think it's here as well in in Britain. I don't think it's really it's, it's starting to be talked about, but I think the political parties are struggling with it, um, the Labour Party especially. You know, there's, there's such there's it, such yeah. division. There's been such a way that certain people have been left behind, yeah. and even in America, there's a famous picture. You know, I lived in New York. And there was a famous picture of, of when you fly over America, you've got like New York, Washington, Boston, and then blah, and then California, you know, yeah. and it was filler. You call them the filler states. Well, you know what? They're not the filler states. They're full of people trying to make a living, taking care of their families. Um, so let's not diss them. Let's have that collective compassion that you were talking about earlier as well yeah. um, so that we can actually move on. Um, yeah. And th th there's, there's, you know, the, the idea is that that, uh, that in future that the great leadership won't come from an individual, that it'll come from a circle. It'll come from, you know, a, a group of people who are connecting together, mm. you know, despite their differences. Yeah. And I think that there's really something to be said for that as well. You know, Definitely. Um, nobody's coming to save us. <laughs> I don't mean that in a, in a nihilistic way. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I feel very passionate about self-leadership. You know, let's let's all step up. You know, if you don't, you don't like Trump or you you believe in this, great, we'll, we'll take some positive action about it, but do it with compassion without dividing people, without an us and them situation, which mm. I see coming up now around the vaccines, you know, who's yeah. been vaccinated, who hasn't, who believes in it, who hasn't. You know, I even feel myself armoring a little bit when I think about this. Um, and uh, I have to do my own work to de-armor so that I can listen and engage and talk to people as well and, yeah. and, and, and be in that conversation with people. I feel that, that too yeah. is leadership. That is. And I think that's the change at the moment, especially on, on social and just in general, it's very much about us and them and, and it's very toxic in the sense of argumentative, yeah. but you can't, in my mind, you can't move to education if you're in that state because education can only happen when you've got both sides listening. And I, I know we haven't touched upon really listening. Um, we have done a bit, but I, I would like to have talked about it a bit more. But um, I definitely think the topics that we've talked about today are, are very important around leadership. Um, just to end it, we, we are a books podcast, and I think it'd be great for, for you to perhaps give some of the ones that had a, an impact on you and, and think that are required reading for, for our listeners. Um, yeah, well, I guess... Um... Uh, that's a great one for leadership. Uh, it, for leadership, it almost doesn't matter as long as you, you, you do read and you engage. You know, you know, I was saying about being lonely. Um, you need the inputs of podcasts. You need the inputs of reading. You need the inputs of articles. The, the thing that, that really, really influences me, there's a guy called, um, in a way, it, it's a bigger stage of leadership, a guy called Bill Plotkin, who's um, based in Colorado. 
And he writes about what he calls um, uh, soul craft, or if you like, soul leadership. And the idea here um, is that we are all looking to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the stuckness that we feel is that we've reached a certain path, part of our development where we've learned everything that we could from a certain stage of our lives. Yep. And now we're ready to grow. And most of us keep our lives in a very adolescent state. And there's nothing wrong with that. It can be a very healthy adolescent, you know, being social, um, reaping the ego rewards. Again, nothing wrong with that. But at a certain point, you might feel the call. And at the moment, if you think about our world and the way it is in many ways, you know, we're being asked some really hard questions. You know, there's a way of thinking about what's happening in the world around things like climate change that we might need to look at our behaviors and to think about, well, how can I, how can I think more about the impact that I'm having? How can I act less like an adolescent in the ego state and more like an adult? Mm. And those are the really big questions that are coming out. So Bill Plotkin's work on that, mm -hmm. um, I think is, is really, really important mm. as well. I always say something sort of like, like, like Brené Brown is really useful as well. And I would also say read poetry. Okay. Sounds a strange thing to do, but, you know, um, read poetry to nourish those parts of you that are not, um, because poetry is really good at making associations and painting pictures and affecting yes. your heart. And you need to keep nourishing that because otherwise we're in danger as leaders of, of turning into technocrats all the time rather than being able to appeal, to feed the, the emotion of the heart. So people like Rilke and um, uh, uh, Mary, it doesn't really matter who it is. You know, Mary Oliver is a good one. Um, Rilke is a great one. Just to, David, uh, David White, just to keep nourishing that heart space all the time so that, so that um, when you move out into the world, again, you're not just operating from your mm. head. You can really connect as yeah. well. And you can, you can, it, it's nourishing that visionary part of you as well. Gets you out of the spreadsheet and into the numinous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always think that, especially in relation to nonfiction books. Because I think there's a lot that can be learned from nonfiction books, but it, it definitely doesn't tap into the side on yeah. the creativity side. So, yeah, I love those recommendations. And like, I, can't wait, I can't wait to yeah. read more about them. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us, Fiona, and, and talking about your, your book, Thoughtful Leadership, A Guide to Leading with the Mind, Body and Soul. Um, where's the best place that individuals can find you, whether it be for your book or for your courses or... Um, so the best place to find me is uh, FionaBucklandCoaching.com. Um, you can also, I'm on Instagram and, um, you know, LinkedIn and all of those kind of places as well. Um, I'm not massively active because I believe in doing rather than just being on social media. There isn't much of a discrimination. Yes. And I'm also running courses as well. You know, there's a course that runs with the book as well. So get to my website, sign up to my mailing list. And then you'll hear first about the course as well, which is really, really amazing. I, I've just finished a, a, the run through of it, mm. like the first running, running of the course. And oh, my God, the people on it were incredible. Like it's a small group, like 12 people, and it's sensational people on it. Um, so if you're looking for a community, listen, <laughs> I, I, I've got I'm, I'm not even saying it for yeah. myself. I'm saying it for, for the quality yeah. and the conversations that you'll have about leadership. Is extraordinary. Definitely. I'm glad to hear it. And, and, and best of luck with the courses and, and the best of luck with the book as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed the conversation today. Really did. It was lovely. Like chatting. Yes. <laughs> Only more so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe for more content. Also, visit our website, www.booktalktoday.com to subscribe and download the latest edition of our magazine. Join our mailing list to receive the first issue for free to get a taste for the value-packed content that we are offering. Book Talk Today, for readers, by readers.